Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Give us a Frank Sinatra. And, and now the end is near. That's good. You say you can't sing, can you? I can, I can sing when I'm pretty drunk. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good at that. No drummers can sing. Fact. Dude, I used to do backing vocals in the band. Did you? Yeah. Had a little microphone and everything. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Not Another Whiskey podcast. If you're looking for chat about different spelling of whiskey around the world, why Indian whiskey uses molasses as their ingredient for making whiskey, where the northernmost and southernmost distilleries are in the world, what a whiskey tastes like when it has used 14 whiskies from all around the world, then you've come to the right place this week because today, my friends, we are opening the lid on world whiskies uh, my name is mitch beshard and as always i am joined by my whiskey swashbuckling pirate partner daz haldane daz how's Arr. it going <laughs> that's right man um yeah we're moving out of our little comfort blanket zone uh, of scotland and going on a wee journey around the world so stay tuned as we go around the world get some crazy facts and we're actually going to be tasting whiskies today from wales mexico um mitch is going to be sampling some gold cock from the czech republic and sam simmons is going to join us as well just to talk a little bit about the depths and breadth of world whiskies and everything that is possible within those he's a whiskey maker at atom brands um so he knows you know he knows a thing or two about flavor texture aromas from whiskies from all over the shop Absolutely, mate. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one, actually, because I think there is a lot of interest from around the world, um, for, for whiskies from around the world, I should say, right now, outside of Scotland. Uh, but before we get into this, Daz, let's, uh, let, let's jump in. What, what have you been up to, man? It's been a couple of weeks since we've done one of these, so what's the, uh, what's the gossip with you? Yeah, yeah, it has been, eh? Um, what's been happening? I've done a few tastings over the last few weeks, which has been really nice. Um, we did a tasting at the start of the week on Monday. We did some of the Fable um bottlings uh, with some of our friends over in the states which was really really cool um we also did a westlands tasting so obviously the the whiskey shows have been happening haven't they whiskey live paris whiskey show london uh, they've all been kicking off so there's been quite a few people getting back out and about so i had a good conversation with the guys from westlands distillery um the week before last and that that was good and i tasted quite a lot of their products which i very much enjoyed good juice man we actually talk about that a little bit later on with uh, with Sam. Uh, I'm a big fan of their their liquid, so no, it's good, mate. Getting getting what about some... you, man? What's been happening? No, it's just been crazy, mate. Been crazy. I was uh, well, actually, I took a little bit of time off. So we did a, a little family gig up to Aviemore. Had a house up there, uh, just chilled out. Hardly drank any whiskey, actually. Uh, just kind of sat about scratching myself most of the time. Great. And then um, after that, went up to Speyside, went up to Copperbrook and did a tasting at Glenelaki, which was really cool. Managed to get in there. And then um, where else did I go? I went, to, oh yeah, I went to Glenlivet as well. Saw their new place. They've, mm. they've spent a lot of money in their new visitor center, which looks absolutely stunning. It does look good. I, I think it needed it, to be honest, as well. It was a bit late. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was getting a bit dated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Lindsay Gray looked after me up there, sorted me out with their uh, single battle tasting, which was mm -hmm. really cool. So just uh, went through four, four or five different single battles uh, up there. 
guy called mm-hmm. Andrew did the tasting. Really, really good guy. Actually knows his stuff as well. So definitely recommend putting Glen Livet on your to-do list next time you're up in space. I'd go and check it out. Yeah, a week of the Glens, man. I, I did a tasting as well. It was actually on the same day as I did the tasting with the American guys was with Glen Turret. Hmm. Uh, Jamie Morrison uh, and Colin Hart came down from the Glen Turret distillery and, and brought down their new 2021 releases. And the 15-year-old, the new 15-year-old is really, really delicious, actually. Really impressed with that. Um, obviously, Bob Dalgarno is behind the whiskey-making story there as well. So there's some interesting stuff going on. I, I need to go up for food because that restaurant that they've got at that place is um, it's off the chain. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've been up there. I haven't eaten up there yet, but... Colin had me up and we, you know, I did a little video up there and, and hung out with the guys. And yeah, it's unbelievable to see. Really cool as well. One of the stories that I got was that, you know, Edrington, Edrington had a lot of offers for that distillery. And one of the offers that they took was from the leak because they saw what they were going to do with it. So they could have got a lot more money for that distillery. But when they saw the plans of what they, what they were going to do, they were like, well, this is better for Scotland. It's better for the, the, the tourist industry and the whiskey industry for them taking over. So hats off to them for doing that. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's, let's uh, give them a, a little clap for that. Nice. So yeah, well on that point, sound effects now in not another whiskey podcast and new, new microphones, mate, new microphones. Listen new, to these new microphones. We're, um, Investing heavily behind this podcast, Mitch. Yeah, <laughs> it's going crazy, man. We've, we've also got a, web, a website now as well. We have a oh, website. Really? Yep, and we also we have our Instagram channel. So thanks to everyone that's um, that's followed along and engaged with us and sent us uh, some lovely recommendations and some strongly worded feedback and criticism. It's all very very <laughs> welcome. <laughs> What's the best uh, strongly worded criticism you've had so far, Dad? Uh, do you know what it is? It's um, somebody says you need to stop swearing. <laughs> My mum said that she was like, "You need to stop swearing on your podcast." That's why I don't do it anymore. It was her that texted me. Oh, was it? No, just tell her to no. fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that, no, don't tell my mum to fuck off. No one tell my mum to fuck off. Please. That'd be bad. <laughs> She's definitely not listening to any more uh, episodes after that. <laughs> no, I we've lost. We're down to three hundred and thirty-two followers now. <laughs> Right, so uh, enough of that. What, what are we going to talk about this week, guys? Let's get into this. So we're going to talk a little bit about world whiskies, which is kind of cool. Um, but I think before we get in that, let's let's find out what's been going on in the world of whiskey. What news have we got? Daz Mitch's whiskey news of the week. The whiskey exchange, right, is. I mean, it's just an amazing thing uh, that Sekinda and Raj have, have built. And it's a, it's a resource for information. It's a place that you can buy almost anything that's available, that has been available ever in whiskey. You could basically get it at the Whiskey Exchange. And they've sold it to Pernod Ricard, which is like, I don't know, man. I mean, I know there was probably a few people in for it, but imagine, I mean, a bit of a curveball, I, I suppose. I don't know what you thought. Did you see it coming? Not at all. I mean, <laughs> when I read the press release on that, I was completely blown away. Whiskey show down in London was on. That was huge. Yep. A lot of people down there. Great to see everyone having a good time. Apart from us, it was it was my wife's birthday weekend, so there's no way I was going to be going down to that. But uh, cool to see everyone down there having a good time, a little bit of normality resuming, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Whiskey Life Paris. And then there's a, sort of some of the, I don't mean smaller in a negative way, but some of the, some of the more regional... Uh, local type uh, whiskey shows taking place as well. We've got obviously Derek's Whiskey Stramash at the end of the month, which is always good. Um, I'm actually at Robbie's Drams on Saturday. Um, so you know we're going to drop this on the Sunday. So it'll be the day before we drop the episode. But uh, Robbie's Drams down in air is always a really good one. You know, there's always good people turn up and, uh, you know, we get out and get get tasting some whiskeys. I'll be doing some, some Fable whiskey tastings and things like that, which should be a good laugh. Um, and, oh... Mate, see sometimes when you think, right, what did we say we'd done 30 years in the industry or something like that? Combined, yeah. Combined, yeah. So like within that, you would expect we, we should know roughly what we're kind of talking about. So we had a conversation about the, the Gordon and McPhail 80-year-old bottling and um, <laughs> a bit of a bet on, didn't we? We did. I think you lost. I did lose. I lost um, by 90K. So, uh, but to be fair, old... I still hmm. lost by quite a bit as well. What did you say? 
I think I said 80 grand. Did you? I said 50. No, did yeah. I say 50? Yeah. Yeah, you said 50 or 40, I think you said. Right, right. Something like that. And I said 80, but yeah. it ended up going for 140, was it? Yeah, $147,000, I think it went for in the end. Yeah. Incredible. Which is incredible. Also, so in that same episode, we talked about this was the Gordon McPhail, the oldest whiskey ever sold. It was an 80-year-old from the Glenlivet Distillery. So really special, very rare thing. So congratulations to the guys at Gordon McPhail for putting out that. But um, just last week as well, uh, or was this, was it Friday last week, the decades, the Dalmore decades thing that we talked about before mm. as well, the collection. So that set did sell um, at Sotheby's in Hong Kong. Uh, and they achieved 1.1 million for that, which is uh, pretty incredible. Just to that's, confirm, that's that's six bottles of whiskey. That's I mean, that, that's getting to scary prices. <laughs> <laughs> God. Uh, the Glen Morangy Lighthouse Project. So this mm. is basically a Willy Wonka still set up at the Glen Morangy Distillery where Dr. Bill and... Um, his troop of distillers and whiskey makers can go in and just do some mad stuff. That's pretty much the essence of it, I think. I think that's I, what I took from the press release. Yeah, yeah I think Dr. Bill's going to grow his hair and it'll be like Rapunzel, you know, yeah. up in his big 20 metre high, because I think it's 20 metres high, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a big lookout tower, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and he's got like a, a sensory office at the top and all this kind of stuff, a tasting room. It'll be interesting to see, because I, I think there's um, the stills are underneath that office, so I wonder what, because that, that must be getting really hot all the time, you know, with, with hot air rising and you're sitting above these stills. I'm assuming they've put in some kind of uh, insulation or something like that, or else, you know, Dr. Bill's going to lose about two stone. Yeah, it'll be like Bikram whiskey making. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to go up and you've got to do it in your pants. <laughs> Mate, you imagine that walking in, Dr. Bill's just sitting there in pants, sweating, drinking sweating. whiskey. <laughs> Pouring water on his head and smelling whiskey. <laughs> Sorry, Doctor Bill, if you listen. Sorry, apologies, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think the other the other big thing that I just saw this week. So this is new, new news. Uh, Clydeside Distillery in Glasgow has launched their first ever whiskey, which is kind of cool. Uh, I was there a good couple of years ago now. Amazing distillery. If you're in Glasgow, go check it out. Right by the SECC, uh, yeah. right on the water there, right on the Clyde beautiful uh visitor center they've got a cafe and everything as well and then uh Loch Lea, which is a, a new distillery in south ayrshire but have been keeping everything very much under wraps mm. have uh just they literally today just released some posts of their their bottling that they're going to be bringing out which looks quite interesting so yeah two new distilleries in scotland that are now legally allowed to sell whiskey which is kind of cool yeah that's massive i mean it is a big time isn't it a big moment because of the the investment, you know, building a distillery, getting staff, buying raw materials, getting all that going. And actually you can't call it whiskey for, for sort of three years. So yeah, I'm sure that means a lot to these guys. Once these bottles come out, we, we've seen that with Rassi, we've seen it with Arden and Merkin. Um, and it's cool, you know, that we're going to start seeing more of these things happening as these distilleries become true whiskeys. Um, so yeah, I'm really pleased for Clydeside particularly because I think distilling in Glasgow or whiskey stories within Glasgow in the city are so important um, and there's actually so little activity actually happens in the city centre of Glasgow these days and when I was at White and Mackay we had the blending room there and I always remember Richard telling me about the early days in Glasgow and you know you would go down the the streets of Glasgow and you would you would see all of the kind of whiskey makers bonds and things like that quite central within the city um, and even the 106 blending room that Edrington had uh, was was in Glasgow in the city centre as well. And it's all kind of moved away now. So it's great that Clydeside's there. It's great that it's becoming a whiskey because I think it's, and we talked about this in one of the episodes before, I just think it's a beautiful, brilliantly well thought through distillery from a production point of view, but also just from a visitor experience point of view. Yeah. Always send people there, go get a decent lunch, get a good, good bottle of whiskey because they sell everything as well. They sell... It's like a proper whiskey yeah. shop. It's not just their own stuff, right? Which is great. Yeah, yeah I, love, I love to see that. I, I was actually a little bit shocked when I saw that when I went in there. I was like, wow, that's uh, really interesting. But I suppose I bought a got... beanie. I got a really good beanie. I'll send you a picture of it. Decent. <laughs> nice. Is it yellow? It's always yellow. It's not. It's red, black, and white. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and because I've got a massive heat, it's about a size too small. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back to whiskey and away from your uh, your fashion sense. Yeah. 
and on the subject of new distilleries, kind of exciting because the next episode we are going to be in a new distillery to record the next podcast. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be going into the Hollywood distillery, sitting down with our mate Nick and their distillery manager as well uh, to chat about everything Hollywood distillery. So uh, that's going to be the next episode, which is going to be fun. Going on location again. Mate, it's going to be really, really, really good. But let's get back to what we're here to talk about today, which mm. is about world whiskies. When was the first time that you became aware of whiskey outside of Scotland, USA and, and Ireland? Yeah. Bartending and Rick's. Um, I remember I had Santori Hibiki on the bar and I used to love making uh, scotch and Japanese old fashioned. So I'd actually use equal measures of scotch and Japanese whiskey and just create a, a cocktail with a bit of a story and connecting these two cultures. And obviously there's more to this and we'll come on to it, I'm sure at some point, but that was the first time for me as a bartender, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I was the same as well. Well, I wasn't. it wasn't when I was bartending, but uh, definitely Japanese whiskey for me. Uh, and it was when Jamie McDonald was uh, talking about Yamazaki. And I was like, okay, well, what's this stuff? And I remember him giving me a few bottles of Yamazaki, actually, which I held on to for a long time. Unfortunately, drank them all now because uh, the price of that has gone through the roof. I remember actually doing uh, tastings, well, not tastings, but festivals, where Jamie McDonald was there talking about Yamazaki. And he was literally like, no one wants to drink this stuff. Like, I, mm. I can't give it away. Um, you know, and we'd do swaps at the end of it. Like, I'd give him a bottle of Talisco. He'd give me like five bottles of Yamazaki, which was yeah. Back in the, the crazy days when no one was really interested in, but the, ja the Japanese whiskey, were in know? were into whiskey quite early. I mean, there's eight distilleries I think in Japan as we speak right now. Um, it may have changed slightly, but it's it's about that. Um, and and it goes back a long old way. You know, the, the kind of godfathers, if you like, of of whiskey. You've got uh, Sinjiro Tori and Masataka Takatsuru, who were two guys who are really the kind of grandfathers of Japanese whiskies and. They brought this idea to life back in the kind of 1920s, really. Um, the interesting thing about Masataka was that he did study um, in Scotland at Glasgow University. And through whilst he was here in Scotland, he had an apprenticeship at a number of distilleries in Scotland. And two distilleries that a lot of people will know, well, maybe not everyone will know, but they're, they're easy enough to find out about Longmorn um, and Hazelburn uh, are two distilleries that he worked at. And I got told, I remember years ago, it was probably around this kind of time, actually, in the early 2000s, when we were talking about Japanese whiskey, and I was kind of exploring it for the first time. They were like, see that guy, that that guy that went over from Japan, went to university here, he stole our whiskey, took it back to Japan, and, and, and stole all our ideas, and Japanese whiskey became this thing. And they were like, well, but it wasn't only the whiskey he stole. I said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, he also stole our women as well, because he, he actually married a Scottish lady. Um, and they lived in Campbelltown. It was it was during uh, that time that they settled there and then ended up going back uh, to Japan. So it's a story really that goes back a long way, 100 years really. Um, and I think it's one of those ones that people quite often forget that it, Scotch whiskey is very open in terms of sharing knowledge, sharing expertise and things like that. And as we go around the world, visiting some of these countries, We'll probably find that someone from Scotland's been involved in the background helping source pot stills, uh, ideas about whiskey making, even cask sourcing and stuff like that, you know. And the you know, interesting thing right now with Japanese whiskey is they're kind of they're changing everything around. We're we're realizing that it's not all Japanese whiskey that was going into Japanese whiskey. There was a lot of Scotch whiskey they were throwing in as well. So it's uh, interesting to see how that whole story is unfolding right now. But anyway, moving away, I think, from, from Japan, when we talk about, you know, other world whiskies, um, the interesting one as well is, is America. We've always known about American whiskies, and that's always been a traditional one, but the whole craft distilling in America really took off in a big way. And for me, that was interesting going around the US, and I've chatted about this before on the podcast, but just seeing how different cities adopted their whiskey that craft whiskey from that that city you know wherever it would be uh we're talking about westland earlier on yeah you, you used to see westland everywhere in seattle when i went around mm -hmm. seattle which was really cool to see and that's how i i kind of got into them and started drinking uh, but you westland. you were living there at a time when it was booming right there were there must have been distilleries numbers of distilleries opening every day at yeah, that time uh, when you were in california I mean, it, at the time, yeah, right? it was, it was yeah. to the point where you know i'd try and visit as many as i could 
so this is one of the things, isn't it? So we're going to talk about world whiskies. So we'll obviously touch on American whiskey. It's a separate conversation almost because we're going to go yeah. to other places that are not as established in terms of making whiskey for, for as long as they had done. And I think the international influence is quite important as well because these guys that moved over from Scotland, Ireland and Wales um, that went over and actually established some of these distilleries, um, I like to think of them as having that kind of link back to places like that because you think of names like Evan Williams, which is a bourbon brand. That's not an American, typical kind of American name that you would hear. Evan Williams is a very Welsh orientated name, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these brands were probably established by distillers who moved across 150 years ago or so yeah that's a nice little segue there because i think now that you mentioned wales we should move into our first whiskey that we're going to try so guys just to let you know we have four no five different world whiskies that we're going to get through on this podcast so if we start to get a little bit slurry by the end of it then you guys know why but the first one first country we're going to go to is actually wales and um the the one that you guys probably think we're going to pick is Pendereth. Penderin? Penderin. 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 I always want to say Pendereth, but it's Penderin. But we're not. We're going to go up to the north of Wales, uh, just north of Snowdonia, and we're going to have a look at Aber Falls, which is just, uh, well, it's a new distillery. It was only created in 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, quite hard to find as you and I were chatting about this earlier on, quite hard to find some information on these guys. Um, they've been making, I think they've got seven or eight different gins right now. This is their second release of a whiskey. Uh, and their, their first release was sitting at 46% ABV. This one that's come out is they've dropped it down to 40, um, which, you know, I understand why they do that, but it would have been nice to see it at a high, higher ABV. The price point on it is ridiculous. And when I say ridiculous, I mean ridiculously cheap. I googled it today. It was twenty quid, sixty-seven p. And, and yeah, so that's super cheap. I mean, I, the the retail price that was on Amazon, right? Is that mm. where you find it? Yeah. So I, uh, normally it's twenty-six, which is insane. And and you look at the bottle as well. It's a beautiful bottle, uh, really kind of chunky, well-made bottle, mm. and the juice is good. The juice yeah. is really no, good. no, no, mate. That's pleasant, definitely. Right? Yeah, a little bit of fresh spice. Um, it's 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 nice maltiness actually. It's it's, it's not old. Um, you, you definitely feel a little bit of that youth. Yeah, but it's quite rounded. Um, it's it's not too uh, zingy, you know, too jaggy on the on the kind of palate. Yeah, and I think the 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 one of the things they're doing, and a lot of these new distilleries are doing this now, is using virgin oak just mm. to give that little vavavoom of uh, maturation characteristic. Yeah. So these guys, well, are using yeah, you, a little you bit... talk about Welsh whiskey, I suppose. So it's definitely not a new thing. Wales made whiskey in the past, and I think what when you think about Penderyn, and we're going to come back to this guy and, and talking about Scotland, sort of sharing some of its knowledge with the wider kind of whiskey community. Um, so a doc, there was a guy called Doctor Jim Swan, who's a really well known expert and especially on the distillation side uh, within Scotch. He, he's passed away. Was it three years ago? I think so, yeah. yeah. It would have been, wouldn't it? Um, but his legacy is is actually a lot in Scotland, but his legacy goes much further than that because Penderin was a distillery that he worked on himself. So he goes to Wales and helps these guys set this distillery up. And I guess that's inspired a, a new generation of, of whiskey lovers. And, and, and here is a, a distillery that is almost a, a kind of symptom of, of that enthusiasm and passion for whiskey. But yeah. I, th- I think this is, is is nice. It's really good, and for the price point, it's, it's absolutely bang on. Um, I mean, if you want uh, if you want a whiskey that you just want to sip on, not be too challenged by, let's say, yeah, yeah. and you you only want to pay twenty six pounds for it, you can't go wrong with this. I'd bash this into an old fashioned in about three seconds. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's their serve that they're saying for it is uh, they actually sent me a bottle of this uh, and sent me it with some Welsh honey. Uh, mm. and some uh, tea as well. And that was their kind of serve for, for their old-fashioned. For those that I've are seen wondering... it about on the gram, um, and, I've, yeah, and yeah. I've noticed that, and, and, and I'd like to thank them so much for sending you a bottle and not sending you one. That's really sound of them. <laughs> well, well, you're drinking some now, so shut your face. I know, yeah, cheers, mate. <laughs> Thanks, I'm a charity case now. <laughs> so 
I, I, I tried to find, well, I found out where the, the, the town that is made, and it's literally 20 minutes drive from Aberfalls, which is in Snowdonia, which looks absolutely stunning, by the way. Um, but I could not pronounce the name of the town. So ah. I got our good friend, our, our Welsh friend. He's our talking Welsh mate, isn't he? <laughs> talking Welsh mate, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Mr. Craig Holmes, who's, uh, if you haven't checked out the podcast, uh, the episode that we did with Craig, have a, have a listen to it. It's all about starting your, your journey in whiskey. So I phoned Craig up and I was like, mate, how do you pronounce this? This is how he replied. Hi, lads. Uh, I believe you pronounce it Abba Gwyn Gregan. But don't quote me on that because I'm not from North Wales. But shame on you for not being able to say it anyway. <laughs> oh, Gwyn so, Gregan. I mean, to be mm. fair, like the, the name literally has like a G-W-Y-N G, you know, all the, all the letters that you sh- they shouldn't be together are together, which is pretty much most of the Welsh language. So what do we want to do? What do you want to do next, mate? I, I want to go abroad on holiday. Okay. You so want something hot? I'm going to go hot. Let's go to Mexico. Let's do it, man. Mexican whiskey is not something that, uh, you know, people automatically assume is a thing, you know, because we know they make beautiful tequilas. We know mezcal. When we talk about mezcal, we often talk about it like uh, single malt scotch whiskey because of the similarities and some of the smoky characteristics and even some of the production techniques and stuff like that can there can be some quite similar similarities in distillation and stuff, but like it, it just it just go okay. So whiskey from Mexico. So what what's the story here? Because you know that you know the story, right? You you've worked with the guys at some point, or yeah. So uh, this is owned by two guys called Danny and Moy. And Danny and Moy actually started up Malagro. They then Which is what, a tequila brand, right? It's a tequila brand that's, yeah. that's prominent over the, in the US. And they've been yeah. talking about bringing it into the UK for a while. So Danny and Moy then went on to um, create a uh, mezcal called Montalobos. And then they went, to, went on to create a chili liqueur called Ancho Reyes. Uh, they then sold off the Malagro side of the business to William Grant & Sons. So Abasolo is their new uh, venture, I suppose, wow. uh, which is Mexican whiskey. Um, really kind of interesting. I mean, there's a lot of passion. I highly recommend going on YouTube and just uh, typing in Abasolo. They've got a stunning uh, a video that, that sits down with the distillery manager, really kind of goes into the specifics of what they're doing. Uh, yeah. And their whole thing is about, you know, ancestral corn, uh, really kind of looking back and, and it's, I think one of the points that we need to make as well that we haven't made when we talk about whiskies from around the world, what you tend to to find is that they are going to use the cereal that is local to them or that's available to them. So it kind of makes sense. You think about Scottish whiskey, right? We use barley because barley's easy to grow here. You talk about bourbon and it's going to be using corn because corn is, it was available in the US. Um, Indian whiskey, molasses, you know, so it's whatever's available to you on a, on a large scale that you're going to use. So there's a couple of cool things that they do, and it, and it is one of those, we're not going to go into it in much depth, but it's 100% corn whiskey. So it, it smells like that, to be honest. You get that lovely kind of promise of sweetness. It's it's quite bright. It's quite yellow. You get a lot of kind of pineapple orangey, kind of yellow and orangey fruits coming through. Sounds good. Um, it's this ancestral corn that they talk about. I've, I've been to Peru. Um, I've not. I've not been to Mexico. But when you go up to these altitudes, so this distillery sits at about seven and a half thousand feet above sea level. Mm. But that's uh, one and a half times Ben Nevis. So like we're really at really high altitude here. And that does tend to be where you find these corns. Um, and this ancestral corn, can you pronounce it? No, mate. It's, um, I'm going to go for it. Are you even, ready? I couldn't, I couldn't even say that Welsh name, so. Yeah, yeah, your Welsh wasn't very good. I'm not sure what your, um, but I guess this is not, this will be kind of the local dialect. Caca uh, Wasotli is the name of the, the corn type. It's good, mate. It's good. Thanks, good mate. effort right now. Yeah, well done. Very good. Um, the, the, there's a process here though, which is quite interesting. So there's like a steeping of the corn right at the start of the process. And it's a, it's a way that they've prepared corn for a long, long time. It's called nixtamalization. And, and it's basically a bath um, or a steep uh, full of alkaline water. Um, and you fill it with a corn and you leave it there for a period of time. And what it does is it softens the corn, it intensifies the flavors, 
so that everything you then do there afterwards is the flavor is absolutely the focus of everything that happens through fermentation into distillation. They do actually malt a very small percentage of the corn as well, which is quite unusual. Um, and I guess they're doing that for uh, development of flavor, a bit more complexity, richness, depth, and all that sort of stuff. So um, whilst it smells young, um, I, I actually really like it. Yeah, I, I like it. I, I thought you would like it because I know you're a big tequila fan as well. Mm. And for me, this is this is very spirit forward, right? And and what I mean by that is it's you can really pick up on that spirit characteristic that's coming through, which is probably an age thing, as you said earlier on. I believe this is two years old, there or thereabouts, um, yeah. is one of the things. That, so they're using new American and virgin wood again. Mm. To the virgin wood's obviously going to turbocharge a little bit of that maturation. Um, and yeah, the, the other interesting thing is they're using champagne yeast in there mm. and their warehouses are open to the conditions, which is mm. kind of crazy considering, you know, how, how warm you think Mexico is. Um, and, and supposedly they have this up there, the, the, the seasons, again, they've got like half the season is half humid and then the other half is very dry. <clears throat> well, look, if we get over there, then... Hilotepec is the name of the town. We need to get over. It's just north of Mexico City. I can't wait to try this in a couple of years. See how the yeah. complexity develops. It's a great base, definitely. The, dis the distillery looks so nice. I mean, they've mm. done really kind of modern Mexico. I think, you know, with, with Danny and Moy, when they had Milagro, they always talked about this, this modern side of Mexico City, which is, is where they're from. So they've taken that with this whiskey as well. And you look at the bottle design as well. The bottle design is so cool. I, um, I want to I go into a bar and see what some really shit-hot bartenders are doing with this juice. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I'd imagine in a sour or something like that would be absolutely yeah. bang on. Do you want to go to Israel? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go to Israel, man. This is not a country that you would think of when you think of single malt or even any whiskey. No. So this is so crazy. Um, this is this kind of uh, this whiskey came onto my radar probably about a year ago, maybe a year, maybe about two years ago. I think uh, mm -hmm. it's called Milk and Honey. So it was the first distillery from Israel. Um, Israel now has four distilleries, by the way. Did you know that? Has four. Yeah. Yeah. So this distillery broke ground in 2012 and they first started to run spirit in 2014. So this is milk and honey. Um, it's again, going back to Jim Swan. He was one of the people that, that consulted on this. And one of the things they talk about with, with Jim is he loved the fact that Israel has four different climates in it. So this really small country 
has these, these crazy climates. So what they're actually doing right now is they're maturing in all four of those different regions or different areas that have these different uh, styles of, of climate. Right. And the craziest one they're doing is the Dead Sea, 428 meters below sea level. And what they've got, what they've done there is they've they've taken uh, twenty casks down, chucked them on a roof of a hotel, and they're maturing them down there. So <laughs> they've they've got this crazy uh, thing going on called the the apex uh, casks or apex bottlings, I think it is. And it's all these experiments that they're doing right now uh, with with their 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 juice, which is kind of interesting. So anyway, to rewind a little bit. When they set up the distillery, they wanted to follow all the rules and regulations of Scottish distilleries. Okay, so right. they do things like double distillation. They always they always age in oak casks. Mm -hmm. They're filling at 63.5%, exactly the same as us. Um, but their angel share is massive. So you're talking 10 to 11% mm. uh, that they're losing through evaporation. Those casks that I was talking about down the Dead Sea, they estimate 25% per year is getting lost down there. Wow. <clears throat> so they're not going to keep it there for very long, right? Exactly, mate. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's going to be coming out pretty, pretty soon. Um, so really kind of interesting stuff. They're playing about with different casks as well. They're, they're using beer casks. They're using red wine casks, cognac, and they've even got pomegranate wine casks, mm. uh, cask that they're using right now, which is kind of crazy. Um, they're importing all their barley from England. But yeah, they're based in Tel Aviv. Um, and to get really geeky, they're actually using Tel Aviv water, but running it through a reverse osmosis process. There you know, go. before we re record these podcasts, Mitch, you should probably just do some research before we start. Mate, I knew all that already. That's That wasn't <laughs> me researching that. <laughs> well, it's funny. So, I remember um, I mentioned this all the time um, when I worked at Highland Park, um, but when I did work there. Uh, I was up, and Graham Manson, who, who you know from Glenfiddich and Balvenie mm -hmm. and stuff, uh, was the distillery manager up there at that point. And um, I remember he had a he had an aeroplane, like a model, or so, it was like a like a on a plaque of this aeroplane. And I was like, "What? What's that?" And he said, "Well, it's a gift from a guy from Israel um, who who's been here at Highland Park working. I think he worked for a month, and the guy was a pilot." Um, and he was learning about whiskey. And I, I think, I think it was one of the guys from the milk and honey uh, distillery. Yeah, I think yeah. it was one of the guys that's involved. I know there's five or six of them. I'm sure one of them was a pilot. He'd come over to learn about whiskey, gone back in and opened that distillery. I'll need to check that, but I'm, I'm certain that's who it was. So if anyone listening knows who created milk and honey, give us a shout. Pop yeah. us an email. And, and did he, did he go and pull a few shifts up there at Highland Park, getting the, get that malt floor turning and, and rolling did it, did those a, casks around. Yeah. Did a uh, mass attack attack at sewer, right? Yeah, man, exactly, exactly. But that, um, Oh, that's, no, I'm a fan. Um, what's your yeah. thoughts? So, I mean, this one, the one I've got is the the really, I think, early release. It's called uh, the Young Single Malt Aged Spirit Triple Cask. Uh, what we're looking at here is wine casks, bourbon casks, and an ex-Isla cask. There is a, a very soft smidgen of smoke in it, and you yeah. pick it up on the nose. It actually comes through a slightly oily, um, all, you know, it's got that kind of dirty smoke. It's a little bit wet, mossy type smoke, mm -hmm. but it's so soft, the smoke. I mean, it's there though. And as, as soon as I first picked the glass up, I was like, it doesn't smell like peated barley, but it has that little hint of something in there, you know? I get, I get it more on the palate. For me, it's yeah. like that finish, you just get that little puff. Mm -hmm. A little puff of smoke, mate. A little puff of smoke. Quite okay. Um, dry astringency at the back. Really there. dry. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to see what these guys are going to do in the future. You know, I think this is one to watch out, out for. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not every day you get to drink a, a whiskey from Israel, right? No. And it's not every day you get to taste gold cock. <clears throat> <laughs> so I've been over to the Czech Republic quite a few times and I told you the story, remember, when I was honoured enough to open the Czech Highland Games down in Sikrov. Um, it's a career highlight, I'm not going to lie. And they do do love whiskey. Um, the, there are some older um, gold cocks that are from the kind of 90s. Um, and I think, I think this distillery started to distill whiskey back in the communist era um, around 1973 is when Goldcock was established as a distillery. 
uh, started to produce some whiskies and and I think it just had its ups and downs and things like that and eventually was bought over in the early 2000s um, by a, a plum uh, spirit distiller, fruit mm. wine distiller and things like that. And, and, and those sort of parts of the world, the Czech Republic and Slovakia, they, they drink a lot of Slivovitz. I don't know if you've tried much of that. Mm-hmm. The plum brandies, yeah. Have you? Yeah. So these guys made quite a lot of that. Um, so they, they actually moved the distillery um, up to Morovia, which is in like the east side of, of the Czech Republic. Um, and really, these guys are flying the flag for, for Czech whiskies. I think it's... Um, uh, uh, different ages, they, they're actually using a lot of um, local oaks. So uh, they're they're picking up some of these Cecile oaks, uh, Quercus Petraeus, uh, some of these more kind of central Eastern European oak types, which are delicious. And when we use those for single malt scotch here in Scotland, these casks bring this lovely, what I call kind of patisserie style quality. It's quite buttery and creamy, mm. lovely vanilla notes. Um, they're a bit richer than American oak. Um, they're, they're heavier in tannins, so they do bring a bit more texture and a bit more body to the whiskies. So, um, can we just some of the gold cocks definitely uh, get great reviews? Uh, I've seen a couple of reviews online and, and they do get well spoken of. This but one, can, I, can I we can we just tried. get the elephant out of the room though? It's called a gold cock, yeah. Can, can we do some jokes about that quickly? Like, I don't really have any. So, you know, you go in a bar and um you see that that whiskey is behind the bar and you're like, Hey, bartender, can I get some of your gold cock? And what happened next? But but, I don't know. That's it. Depends what kind of bar it is, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm holding the bottle. I've got, I've got a gold cock in my hand right now. Mm -hmm. What does it look like? Says age three years. And this one is, is the red feathers. Mm -hmm. 40% ABV. So this is their blended version. So I don't know where, I don't, I don't know what they're blending in with here. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone knows anything about gold cock, if anyone's had a gold cock in their mouth and wants to share that with us, then let us know. Yeah. Just tell us how what how was it? <laughs> Better than I thought. <laughs> it's a wee bit edgy, isn't it? A wee bit it's spiky. A, yeah. Uh, Generally, what we've tasted has, has been really nice. Um, th- this one's probably not for me. Um, when I say probably, I mean it's definitely not for me. Um, but th- this is the thing, isn't it? As you go around the world, and we've gone from Mexico to Wales to the Czech Republic to Israel, um, exploring these different whiskies, all influenced really by Scotch, some of them directly by people like kind of Dr. Jim Swan and things like that. I've got some Japanese whiskies here. I've actually got um, the Lakes, uh, where obviously our, our good pal Deval works and puts together some of these whiskies from down south. Mm-hmm. And even even up to the Denmark and Sweden and places like that, Stoning is a great example of a fabulous whiskey producer that's doing some really cool stuff. Um, yeah. I've got the Danish rye here, and I, I'm a massive fan of that. Punchy as well, 50%, super spicy, uh, really tasty, and a beautiful, beautiful distillery as well. So it's, it's good to see so many of these different things coming from all over the world. It's time for Mitch and Daz's interesting Scotch whiskey facts that definitely won't get you laid. For this week's interesting facts that won't get you laid, obviously I'm going to do it about world whiskey. I'm going to chat about Australia here because we haven't really touched on uh, on Australia or that part of the world yet. But Australia now has over 300 craft distilleries, which is pretty incredible considering that recently there was on, well up until recently there was only a handful of them. And what changed was the law or the archaic law, I should say, that outlawed the use of a small still. So this was changed in the 90s by a gentleman called Bill Lark, who basically went, guys, this is bullshit. Let's get this sorted out. Uh, Bill then went on to create the Lark Distillery in Tasmania, which is now producing award-winning whiskies. Uh, and there's some fantastic whiskies out there. I think uh, Star Wars is one that I've tried recently, which I know has been a big push with, with Diageo and their Distel Ventures. And then moving over to India, India has four of the top selling whiskies in the world. Going to number one is McDowell's, uh, followed by Officer Choice, Mm -hmm. and then Imperial Blue, and then Royal Stag. So that is when you look at whiskies from around the world. They are the top four. 
Number five is Johnny Walker. So that gives you an idea of how much whiskey they are selling over there. Now, one of the reasons that India has such popular whiskies is they're making it with molasses, which means it's very, very cheap to buy. In Iceland, the distillery called Floki uses sheep dung to smoke their whiskey. So let us know if you've been brave enough to try that one. I know I definitely haven't, but we should have put that in here, Daz. Maybe the next time. Yep. Um, Aurora Spirit in Norway is the most northern distillery in the world, and the Cardrona distillery in New Zealand is the most southernmost. Is the most southernmost? Is the southernmost distillery uh, in the world. Uh, so Cardrona, which I tried recently, actually, uh, really kind of impressive liquid. Not the cheapest whiskey I've ever tried mm. for the age, but really good juice, really interesting juice. But staying in New Zealand, um, they actually had a flourishing whiskey industry back in the 1830s. And get this, Daz, it was so successful that the Scottish banks started to get a little bit worried. Um, so what they did was they agreed to fund the country's railways on the proviso that the government outlawed local distilling, making it illegal to make whiskey in New Zealand. Uh, and that rule wasn't reversed until 1970. How crazy wow. is that? So us Scots stopped the Kiwis from making whiskey. Well, was, at least we could stop them doing something because they keep pumping us at rugby all the time. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the cool thing is we now have 19 distilleries on the island, uh, the island of, of New Zealand, not Scotland. Uh, but yeah, and they've just recently put the definitions of what a Kiwi whiskey should taste like, which are very similar to Scotch whiskey. Oh, so There you go. Uh, and the last interesting fact that will not get you laid is the residents of Singapore drink around about 13 bottles of scotch per year, making them the largest scotch whiskey consuming market per capita in the world. Nice. I've got a good joke, a whiskey joke. Are you ready? Go for it. Okay. You alluded to the point earlier when we were talking about Japanese whiskeys, how you, you mentioned that not all Japanese whiskey has to be from Japan. It's quite often a blend of Scotch and Japanese and sometimes not that much Japanese whiskey goes into Japanese whiskey. So are you ready for this? What do they call Japanese whiskey in Scotland? Go on. Ben Nevis. I was lucky enough to sit down with my good friend Sam Simmons from uh, Boutique Whiskey Company, Atom Brands. He is the whiskey maker there. All right, Sam. So welcome to Not Another Whiskey Podcast, man. Thanks for joining us. Long-time listener, first-time caller, and it's a real honor to be here. <laughs> um, well, firstly, thank you not only for being on the podcast, but sending this delicious whiskey out to me, which I want to discuss with you in just a second. Um, so for those who don't know who Sam is, Sam and I go way back to our William Grant and Sons days, where he was the global ambassador for Balvenie. And then he moved over to Atom Brands, and now he is the, the whiskey maker for Atom Brands. I've got that right, right, Sam? Yeah, I think they call me something else, uh, whiskey administrator or uh, no. Yes, head of whiskey. So it's, it's, it's really very lucky. Even, even, you know, we've said it a million times when we were ambassadors together. Dream job, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Still living the dream then. Get to, be, get to do whiskey design and work with awesome people and take casts and find out something clever to do with them. And uh, it's, it's real, real adventure every day. Amazing, mate. So, so tell everyone, um, what's your kind of day-to-day? What do you, you kind of do as a whiskey maker for Adam Brand? it's probably less romantic just like when we probably both of us can relate to this when we got into whiskey and you actually went to the distilleries and met the makers and you had these it's like you had posters of the of david stewart on your wall at home but you idolize these whiskey makers and then you would say oh david doublewood such a delight he goes well all i do is i do this and i do that no but david come on portwood is so well all we did we're very lucky the guys at the distillery they do this and the, you know that sort of modesty and the day-to-day and even the fact that he started as a stocks clerk and really until they invented the name Malt Master, he really is a stocks manager. And that's essentially what I do. I manage the stock that Toby Cutler and Felix Deer buy for us because we don't own distilleries. So the spirits they bring into the business, I sort of manage that and figure out what destiny those liquids go to and then manage the teams that help uh, make that come to life. I think you're underplaying yourself a little bit there, mate. That is a, that's a very skilled job doing that and, and putting those whiskeys together, especially when I look at this... Uh, out of this world whiskey blend that you sent me and all the whiskeys that you put in there. I think um, I, I did the maths on this quickly. I think you put 28 whiskeys in there from 14 dif- different countries. Am I right in saying that? I need to check that, but I trust your facts. I think it's 14 and 26. 
26, okay. Yeah, but yeah, 26 different spirits, I suppose, but yeah, 14 different countries. Which, which ties in fantastically well with what we're talking about on this episode, because we're talking about world whiskies. Uh, so we, we, we've already tried a couple of whiskies uh, from, from around the world. So it'd be great to get your take on what you think about this current climate that we're looking at right now, which is, you know, just, it, it, it's kind of almost new territory, right? Pretty much every country now is, is almost making their own whiskey. So your experiences of them, I mean, you know, looking through this world blend that you put together, I think you had France in there, you had some Japanese, Taiwanese, um, Danish was in there as well. So you're obviously very well versed in what's going on around the world with world whiskies. What, what stands out for you right now? What's, uh, what's some of your picks? Okay, so a lot of questions there, bud. You ready? Uh, I don't know which one you want me to answer, but I'll just <laughs> speak for a bit. All that, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> the genesis of this idea came from traveling the world representing Balvenie because you would go to different countries. I could be in Taipei or Toronto and people drink whiskey differently in each of those places. And I can tell you, it's generally not with a Glencairn glass. Sure, when we're appreciating a spirit, we use you know fancy glassware, but the most of the public and ninety percent of the, the whiskey consumed around the world is consumed mixed. You know, when I had Balvenie and Red Bulls, I had Balvenie and coconut water, I had Balvenie and green tea in nightclubs in China, and it really opened my eyes to the practicality of this this drink. It's so great to spend time mulling over a dram and celebrating the nuances and fermentation times and line arm angles and all that shit but fundamentally it's just a drink, but also it's so much more than a drink. So it's that dichotomy that's sort of trying to play with. So we made this thing called World Whiskey Blend, which was for, for drinking, it was for mixing. It was a, a whiskey blended um, to be approachable in price around 30 quid, uh, blended from craft whiskeys all over the world. And then Out of This World was born soon after that when um, we were discussing with some friends how Karazawa in particular, was getting out of control on the secondary market. This is a closed Japanese distillery. And, uh, you know, back when I worked at the whiskey exchange, you could buy a bottle for a hundred pounds. And that was a lot of money um, for a hundred pounds. Those bottles are now 4,000 to 14,000 pounds each. So that was kind of blowing my mind. So we decided to take some Karazawa in a, by way of protest and stripped the value of it by sending it to space. So by having it leave Earth's atmosphere, and there's a service you can do that with online where they send it up in a balloon, it leaves the atmosphere, it's no longer a product of Japan. So it, it's no longer Karazawa, in fact. So that was the beginning of the Out of This World Whiskey Blend, literally sending it out of this world, bringing it back home, and then blending it with some of the best whiskeys that I had tasted since working at Boutique. And these are whiskeys from all over the world. We bottle at Boutique whiskeys from Australia, Japan, like you said, uh, Taiwan, Italy, Switzerland, America, Canada, all over the world. And so it was some of the real gems that we had found, or to be quite honest, some of the remnants we had sitting in our warehouse in Edinburgh were selected and recipe up during lockdown. You know, things I had access to that I didn't need to pull samples of is what we worked with things that we already had. And then, yeah, out of this world was born. So out of the, the whiskies that you're getting around the world right now, where do you put in a scale? I mean, you've obviously got a scale of, of, of what you enjoy and what you, you rate. What are the top sort of three countries in your opinion? That was your original question, wasn't it? Sorry, I fucking lost track. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to get in trouble here because... You are. <laughs> probably. But I, I grew up or whatever you want to say. I came to whiskey through scotch. I came to whiskey at the feet of great uh, whiskey teachers, Richard Patterson, Charlie McLean, when I lived in Edinburgh, uh, John Glazer, all these people who, who praised scotch and said, what can it be? What has it been? And what will it be in the future? That sort of romantic storytelling. And I still think that Scotch has a deserved place at the top of the hierarchy, if there's such a thing of global whiskey. But as you said earlier, the whole world that drinks Scotch whiskey is now making it everywhere. Um, and I think Scotch needs to really watch that because some of the, uh, I guess, I don't know what he would say. It's easy to become a bit complacent when you're on top and uh, maybe start focusing on yield rather than flavor and start focusing on shorthand uh, efficiencies that maybe don't serve the final product uh, the best. And when other people start picking up this craft, sure, inspired by Scotland and inspired by the great distilleries of Scotland, when they pick up this craft, they maybe go back to the more traditional methods and they might surpass, 
in flavor. We might have three-year-old whiskeys from Australia that taste like 12-year-olds. And that was the revelation I had. I had uh, samples that Felix brought back from Australia for the Australia series that we bought earlier, earlier this year that I had just the day before tasted cast samples of uh, 16 and 18-year-old Mortlocks, old Laphroaigs, a Cardew, which is really rare to see for, for a broker market type of indie bottle stuff. And when we had these Australian whiskeys, they blew my mind. They were rich and deep and you had no idea they were so juvenile, but they certainly weren't immature. They were awesome whiskeys. So I, I think for me, Australia is the place I look to with the most excitement, but I think we often overlook things close to home like England, Wales, and especially for me, Canada. I mean, in Canada, has a, Canadian whiskey has a reputation of being one thing where of course it's not, it's so diverse and it is the original global blended whiskey. Um, and it has been doing it for hundreds of years. So it's that, that's sort of where we take inspiration for World Whiskey Blend, but also where we look to for single malts coming out of uh, the country now in the West Coast, especially West Coast, of the US, Copper, Copper Works and Westland, both in Seattle, two of the best malts, I think, uh, in the world, certainly in the US. Um, and yeah, it, it, Australia, US, England, Wales, the whole world is making delicious, delicious cereal-based drinks. I mean, it's, it's interesting for me because I remember when I went over to the US uh, with Glenfiddich for the first time, which I think you were still over there. You're in New York. I went over to California. So this was 2010. Um, and it blew my mind just going around the US, seeing all these craft distilleries that were popping up. And I got so excited about it. This was a new thing for me. And I mean, you know, going back to that time, I think Aaron was probably the only new distillery that we had in Scotland. And it hadn't, the whole crafting that you're seeing happening now in Scotland hadn't really taken off, but it had started to do so in the US. But to your point that you went back to earlier on, it wasn't always great whiskey that I was trying from all these craft distilleries. Um, and I think now there are some phenomenal ones. You, you mentioned Westland there. I think Westland produces the best peated whiskey outside of Scotland right now, which wow. is a big statement. Someone might correct me on that but you know that's just my opinion i think they, they do some really good juice um so it's great to see what's going on but let, let's go back to your whiskey here so i sat with this for a while man and, and kind of went through it there's a lot going on as i as i expected for someone who wants to know what uh the out of this world whiskey blend actually is how would you describe it sort of tasting note wise is there any kind of particular flavors that you get coming through this this whiskey Taste is so individual and subjective. And I think the, the intention from a sort of recipe side was to try to let every country or the characteristic that I think is typical of each style that was in the mix um, has room to shine through. So I think that, and I think I'm confident in saying that if you're a bourbon drinker, you're gonna detect bourbon in this, in this whiskey. If you're an old grain whiskey fan, you're gonna detect old grain. Uh, if you're a sherry cask fan, you're going to detect seven to 10 year old sherry cask whiskeys. I think there's room. We bl it's blended in a way that hopefully everything uh, along a very wide spectrum of flavor, I think, and a long flavor experience. So it starts bright and ends like warehousey. Um, I think along that full flavor spectrum, there, there will be different jumping off points for everyone. There's a blueberry, there's like a big fruity Irish whiskey in there. And I think right around mid palate, people will pick that up if that's the kind of style they're used to. So I think it's a whiskey that hopefully speaks to everyone and not to get too airy fairy, but you know, we're living on one planet. We were more distant than we have been in a long time when I was blending this. And it was a nice reminder that we're actually much closer than we realize in all sorts of ways. And so without, again, without getting too hippy dippy or, or deep on it, that's the idea is that, that there's room for everyone. There's room for all these different voices to be heard in one glass. So World Whiskey Blend, yeah, is an approachable price, about 30 pounds a bottle, depending where you buy it. And that's, yeah, really destined to be mixed. But this, this is, this is a, the same uh, idea, but destined to be sipped. Um, and including whiskeys as, as young as three, but as old as 44, uh, and including some that's from closed distilleries that we sent into space, as I mentioned. Uh, and bottled at 43.6, we sell this for 100 pounds. So the, the, the idea for me was to be in the ballpark of sort of a Johnny Walker blue, because I look to the great blenders of scotch for inspiration. Um, you were saying a moment ago about inconsistency or the reputation that craft distillers had when they first started or when you when you first moved to the states and i think it's fair and i think it's actually really a parallel to 250 years ago the reputation scotch whiskey had south mm -hmm. of hadrian's wall which was it was rot gut it was inconsistent um it gave you a headache it was rough you know it was a rough spirit it was a highlander's elixir and that's where it was popular 
up north. Um, but that changed, of course, with blending, where you can make something more palatable. And uh, so looking to that for influence, we're trying to find a way to take sometimes these wild, young, you know, empire ryes or Danish rye whiskeys or Dutch rye whiskeys, these young uh, malts from Australia or I Italy or Taiwan, and mix them together with 42-year-old grain, 40-year-old Speyside whiskey, uh, Japanese mid-age whiskey, 18-year-old uh, New Zealand really woody wine cask whiskey that bring that come all together and let them all uh, speak and be illuminated in their own way. And so the volume, I think it was 220 bottles is what it yielded in total. And they're all only available in the UK. And it's sort of an unrepeatable thing, the out of this world whiskey blend. Once it's gone, it's gone, people. So get it's out nice. there, search it out. Look, I'm really grateful. It's so cool how many retailers picked this up. I have to say, we got a lot of support. Uh, even, you know, one bottle here, one bottle there, six bottles here, six bottles there. Really, really grateful for all these independent retailers uh, picking up a product like this. Something to talk about and something to be shared and enjoyed. Amazing. Well, Sam, thank you very much. But before you go, take your Scotch whiskey hat off. You're allowed to drink one whiskey from one country for the rest of your life. Where is it going to be? Oh, you're an asshole. <laughs> well, that's fine. I think it's pretty easy. I think uh, I, like I said earlier, we, it's always important to remember that whiskey is a drink. I love mulling over a dram with friends and like throwing notes back and forth, but I also just like having a drink. And uh, for that, uh, great American bourbons, uh, some young American rye I love as well, but I'm going to go with Baines, South African grain whiskey, uh, based on corn. I think maize. Growing up in Canada, corn corn whiskey is one of my favorite type of beverages, alcoholic beverages, and uh, and I think Baines doing a beautiful, beautiful bourbon finished bourbon cask uh, corn whiskey in South Africa. So I'll choose that. Yeah. So Brendan's going to be happy that you uh, you picked that. You know, he was on the podcast uh, a couple of episodes ago, so he's going to be a happy man when he listens to this. Perfect. Yeah, good. I don't mind out of my kissing ass. No, no, it's, it's the truth. You know me. Absolutely. All right, Samuel, thanks again for being on the podcast, man. Daz, back to you. It's so, so interesting just to hear Sam talking about that. And um, this is twice on this episode that Mitch has been sent a bottle that I've not been sent. So it's just a steady reminder, Mitch, that um, just keep those samples coming to charity case Haldane over here. <laughs> <laughs> and also... Uh, just whilst, whilst we're on the point, um, that interview, I'm not involved. I know, mate. Well, he said, so he, he, I think what he said to me was, you know, I want to be on your podcast, but I don't want to listen. To, I don't want to chat to that Daz guy. So can we just do it? <laughs> no, I mean, Sam's a busy boy. So I basically grabbed him and I said, look, let's just do this interview really quickly and I'll record it all and, and chuck it all in. So. Uh, yeah, and he's got a young family as well. You know, we we tend to record this a little bit later than normal. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, really cool that he jumped in. What did, what did you think of the whiskey, man? Um, there's a big kind of orangey, big vanilla hit on the nose. But actually, as you dig in a little bit deeper, it does get a little bit softer than that. You know, there's a kind of floral, uh, almost slightly soft, fruity, apricoty kind of quality as well, which um, leads you in a different direction. It, it takes you probably back more so to classic kind of space sidey vibes you know yeah i mean he he sent me the spec list on this <clears throat> which he told me to uh, to not post on social or anything like that mm -hmm. but it's it's incredible the whiskeys he put in here like i think we said in the interview 14 different countries from around the world that he played about with so 14 different countries in this one glass yeah brilliant love that so what's the strangest so country do you think on the on the list that's maybe a bit like i didn't even know they had a distillery yeah, he put in, you know, Dutch, there's some island there, there's some bourbon, there's some Japanese, there's some New Zealand. Uh, we've got Irish, we've got Empire Rye, Taiwanese, Swiss, Italian, French, mm -hmm. Dutch, um, quite a few Speysides, some Swedish, some Danish rye, Tennessee rye. He just went all over the world, man. I mean, mm. what a great way to finish this tasting off, right? So nice. <clears throat> totally. Ta Taiwanese whiskeys as well, man. I mean, we haven't even touched on that. And there, you know, that follow-on from the big boom in the early 2000s of single malt whiskey becoming this, you know, interesting thing in different places. Taiwan were right at the front of that wave, you know. Um, so I think Cavalan opens about 2005. So nice to see international distilleries challenging us. Talk about Westlands looking at heritage styles of barley, you know, not chasing yield, uh, doing things in the way that we used to do it here back in the 80s and the 90s and things like that. And, and actually they're prodding us and saying, 
why are you doing that? Why are you chasing the volume? Because it's such an established industry here, you know, do we need to review some of our philosophies as whiskey makers here in Scotland because of what's happening out there in Japan, in America, and in these different countries around Europe and things like that? You know, it's um, it's a wee bit deep for me, but it just is something that just sort of sticks out in my mind as we're sort of chatting through, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. Now, it's been interesting, mate. It's been really cool going through these whiskies with you. Um, thank you, guys, if you're still listening to us. It's been a bit, it's been a bit of a geeky one for, for us, this one. We're normally uh, a little yeah. bit less serious than this, but we've kind of dug deep this time. Yeah, yeah. No, God, mate, that, that, was, that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. It was brilliant to blast through those whiskies with you. Um, and, you know, probably descend into complete debauchery when we catch up with Nick and the guys over at the Holyrood Distillery in a couple of weeks time absolutely uh, but a massive thanks to sam for joining um from from batiki that's a whiskey i really enjoy and I'm, I'm going to go back to add a bit of water and just see what's happening see if i can pick out all these different distilleries but yeah good to catch up with you mate over a few whiskeys absolutely likewise man and thank you guys for for listening in tune in for the next episode and uh slanger boom boom slanger boom boom What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.